0: Good morning, welcome one and all, glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. My name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors here, we're grateful for you uh, spending your worship hour with us here this morning. Uh, A couple of announcements as we get started, all pertaining to uh, Christmas. It is the season, you can see the decor behind us, and uh, so we want to let you know that tonight is a special night at 6 o'clock. uh, kids program, Christmas program with uh, the age two through grade twelve. Uh, are going to be here to uh, put on a Christmas program for you. So I'd encourage you to come and be a part of that this evening at 6 o'clock. Invite some friends, family to come and join. Should be a good time uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus and uh, support our young kids as they uh, put on display for you all of their hard efforts to prepare this program this evening. Uh, additionally, the following Sunday, next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a, a choir program, Christmas program for you as well. And so I'll invite you back next Sunday night at 6 o'clock for that uh, musical program as well. And let's add a third one, right? Things are best when in threes. And so on the 24th, Christmas Eve, not at six, at five. All right, let's get that down. Two sixes and now a five. At 5 o'clock on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service right here as well. So again, we encourage and invite you to come and be a part of that service uh, here on Christmas Eve. Other than that, we're just grateful that you are here and look forward to what the Lord has to teach us from His Word this morning. Invite you to stand, if you would please, as we hear our call to worship this morning.
1: Our call to worship comes from Psalm chapter one hundred and four verses. Blessed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? This is the word of the Lord. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter. to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us eyes to to see this morning, ears to hear, that your spirit would teach us uh, from, from these very words. Father, we're thankful for the work of Jesus Christ, not only in his birth, in his holy life, but in his death, burial, and resurrection for us. As we celebrate his birth this season, may we not forget his death on our behalf. And even this morning, God, would you give us greater insight to those things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. If you have a pew Bible, that'll be on page 856. 856. Last week uh, we looked at the first of the the songs of Christmas, uh, that being Mary's song earlier in chapter one. And though Mary's song uh, was the first song, or is the first song in the Gospel of Luke, Mary's pregnancy actually is, is the second pregnancy in the book of Luke. The first being Elizabeth, the mother of a boy who would come to be known as John the Baptist. Elizabeth was also the wife of a man named Zechariah. This second song of of Christmas, as we'll look at today, is Zechariah's song, or in your Bible, the the heading might say Zechariah's prophecy. This comes after the birth of his son. Uh, But like Mary's song, uh, Zechariah, here is uh, what, what he has to say, is much less about himself and much more uh, about God and his work. But, but before we get to what Zechariah said, maybe we should just know who Zechariah even is. If we go back earlier in chapter one, we find out that Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple. As we already said, he was a husband to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, we've learned in the book of Luke, was a relative of Mary. Verse 6 of chapter 1 tells us that he and Elizabeth were, according to verse 6, both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So these were uh, people who who knew God and were following God. Verse 7 of chapter 1 tells us that they had no children and that Elizabeth was barren. Uh, In advanced, in years. Sometimes uh, we might use that language to to, to be uh, different things. The point there is that she was past the the years of childbearing. And so she was uh, at an age where she wasn't going to be having babies. Uh, Verses 8 through 24 tell us more about Zechariah. Zechariah was visited by an angel, by the angel Gabriel, and was told that uh, his wife, Elizabeth, would in fact bear a son. And his name would be called John, again, who we come to know as John the Baptist. Uh, Zechariah's response, though, to the angel was one of unbelief. He couldn't believe that this this could happen, as you might expect. Uh, But his was a a lack of faith in what the, the angel was saying God would do. And due to his lack of faith, he was rendered unable to speak during the, the time of Elizabeth's pregnancy until after the child was born. Now, some of you women who've been pregnant, maybe that would be a good thing if your husband was uh, rendered unable to speak. I, I don't know. In this case, it was, it was uh, not, not necessarily a blessing. It was, it was a consequence of his lack of faith. But as we move ahead in, in the chapter, we find that the boy is born. And on the eighth day, they, they go to name the child. And uh, some thought his name should be Zachariah after his father. And Elizabeth assured them that that would, would not be, as she objected. But then Zechariah uh, communicated by writing down the boy's name, and the boy's name would be John. And at that point, if you just uh, look up to verse 64, chapter 164, and it says this, "...and immediately his mouth," talking about Zechariah, "...his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, and he spoke blessing God." Right. So at that point, his, his ability to speak was, was brought back and he spoke and blessed God. And what follows uh, in the, the preceding or the, the following verses are, are what he said, right? his, his song. And here in the songs, the, the, the verses that were just read. We find his song as he predicts and proclaims both uh, of Jesus and the ministry of John as well as describing the work of God through Christ for his people. And he offers this, this comprehensive view, as we will see, uh, of the gospel, uh, including many uh, pieces of the gospel as, as we read through it. Uh, but let, let's begin back at verse 68. And we'll see the first part of this song of Zechariah is... Um, about the Savior, about Jesus. it begins with, with praise in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And so upon receiving his, his voice back, Zechariah begins with praise. And this is said to be like, like Mary's song, a hymn of praise. It's praising God for, for what he has done. He's blessing God for what he has done. Uh, Mary's song is, is often referred to as the um, Magnificat because of the, the Latin uh, word for magnify. Well, here, Zachariah's song is, is often used, uh, a Latin word, benedictus, which is uh, the rendering of the uh, Latin word for blessed, which that Latin word is also where we get our word benediction, which means blessing. So all this is originating here, and we see this word blessed. But both Mary and Zachariah began with, with their songs uh, with praise, right? Uh, that's worth noting, uh, to begin with praise is to begin with thanksgiving. It's not only to recognize the gift, but the giver, who alone is worthy. Right? And so as much as Mary and Zechariah uh, were, were, were certainly thinking about the, the birth of these children, they're also thinking about who is, is the giver uh, of, of these great gifts, who alone is, is worthy. Zechariah understood that what had been done— And what was coming, or what would happen, was in fact the work of God. And therefore, he was the one who deserved the praise. As both Mary and Zechariah began with praise, they also followed that praise with reasons. So, blessing the Lord, and then why? For what reasons can we bless the Lord? And Zechariah shares several. We'll kind of pinpoint four of them. The rest of verse 68 says, For he has Visited and redeemed his people. He has come. Who has come? God has come. Now, Zechariah was aware that, that Mary uh, was carrying the Messiah in her womb. Uh, Zechariah's uh, song here is, is this first part is not about his son. So when he says he has visited us and redeemed his people, he's not talking about his own child, he's talking about the child that Mary is carrying. He has visited and redeemed his people. He is already there, right? That's what Zechariah is alluding to. We go to John chapter one, verse one, that says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus has always existed. And and how do we know this is Jesus? Verse 14, for the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One paraphrase of this verse says, the word became flesh, became flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. Right? That's, that's what we're seeing, right? That's what Jer- uh, Zechariah is saying. He has visited us. He has come to us. He has, he has taken up residency here. He's, he's in, in incarnate. He's in the flesh. He's in our, our world now. This promised one had come, and this was clearly reason to praise God. It was clearly reason to praise God then and it's reason to praise God today. The reality that, that Christ has come should still cause us to praise, to, to recognize that this one has, has visited us. God became flesh. If you just let your mind go there for a minute again, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. In fact, it's never happened before. It'll never happen again. God inhabiting man. Unreal. And here, Zachariah is giving praise to God for that very thing. This is what Christmas is meant to celebrate, right? The arrival of God, the arrival of the Son of God into this world. Advent is meant to stir our hearts again in in this season of waiting for his arrival and pointing us to his coming again, Lord willing, soon. But the praise was not just that he had come but also why he came. He has visited us, and what? And redeemed his people. Alistair Begg writes that redemption is the act of providing payment to free someone. What what does it mean to redeem someone? It means to to purchase. It means to pay a payment in order to gain their freedom. Zechariah has in mind here, as we'll see, freedom from something, freedom from sin. Right, Sin separates us. That's what sin does. It separates us from one another. We can sin against one another and that causes separation. But, but greater than that, it separates us and it inaliates us from God. The scriptures tell us that we are all sinners. We have all sinned. And the eternal penalty of sin is the wages of death, right? sin. Uh, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. Sins against a holy God must be paid for. They must be paid for. That, that's how it works. God doesn't just wink at our sin and, and brush it off. No, sin against a holy God must be paid for. And the scriptures tell us that the wages of, of that sin, the payment of that sin is death. So in order to be freed, a death has to occur. So there's, there's one of two ways that, that we pay for our sin or our sins are paid for. Either we pay for them with our own death or someone else's death is accredited to us. That's, that's how redemption is going to work. What we need is someone to stand in our place. right? We, we need someone who, who's, whose payments will actually uh, cover us and make us acceptable to God. Someone who will provide a payment in order to free us. But in order to be redeemed, not only do we have to have someone who will be willing to pay that price, but we must believe that we need to be redeemed. You know, some people don't think they need to be redeemed. There was a point in your life and in mind where we didn't think we needed redemption. We thought we were doing just fine on our own. We thought we were good enough. We hadn't seen our lostness. We hadn't seen our sin. We hadn't seen our need only when we... S- Only when we see our need will we seek the redemption that God provides. The problem is many don't see our need or their need. In one survey published in 2020, participants were asked to agree or disagree with this statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 65% agreed with that statement they're wrong. (laughs) You are not good by nature. I am not good by nature. I am born a sinner. I am born in rebellion against God. I'm born alienated from God. I don't want the things of God on my own. I want my things. I don't want to to submit to him. I want to be Lord. I want to do it my way. Left to myself, I am not naturally a good person. Not in the sense of what the Bible talks about as good. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? There is no one that is good. Therefore, we are all in need. And until we recognize the need, we won't seek the redemption. But thanks be to God that He reveals to us that we are sinners. Part of the reason for the law is to show to us that we can't do it. We can't live up to a perfect standard. We can't meet all the criteria. We never will. We are imperfect people. We are sinners. We need help. And thanks be to God that he actually did provide help. He provided redemption. Redemption is available. Verse 69 goes on to tell us how God provided that redemption. It has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This language seems kind of weird to us, horn of salvation. Well, a horn is the strength of an animal, right? If, if you see an animal like that, that horn, they can probably do a lot of damage with that horn, right? That, that, There's strength in the horn. So that, that imagery of a horn is used to symbolize strength. So it's saying the horn of salvation or the strength of salvation. He has raised up a, a strength or the strength of salvation for us from where? From the house of his servant David. What is he suggesting there? He's saying that salvation would come from the house of David. Well, Mary and Joseph, according to verse 27, were from the line of David. So this child, too, would be from the line of David. If we back up just a few verses to verse 30, chapter one, verse 30, the angel says this to, to, uh, to Mary. He says, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, it will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High." And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Where is this salvation coming from? It's coming from the house of of David, the line of David. It's coming through Mary and coming through Joseph. God has provided salvation. He provided redemption through Jesus. Zechariah goes on to connect the coming of Jesus with the prophecies of old. Look at verses uh, 70 through 75. And as he spoke, the, so he did this, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." There, there's, there's a lot in there, but, but Zechariah is pointing to the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of sal- the, the salvation of God's people. Right? That, that God kept his covenant to his people, to Abraham. He kept his promise to his people that he would save them, that he would deliver them, that he remembered his holy covenant. He had mercy to the promises of the Father. Right? From, the, from the, prophets of, uh, the holy prophets of old, this was a long-term uh, promise or covenant, and God kept it. And the, the point is that as God had redeemed Israel from their enemies in the past, in, in an even greater way, God had come to redeem his people from their greatest enemy now that being sin and death. And the response to this deliverance, which is the third reason that uh, we have to praise, is found in the next two verses, verses 74 and 75 that, that we read there. But what's the response to deliverance? That we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So the appropriate response to deliverance the appropriate response to being freed from our sins is to serve God. That's the response. That's the response that that Zachariah sees, that upon this deliverance, what do we do? We we serve God in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Serving him before him. Serving before him all our days. R.C. Sproul notes that Martin Luther coined a phrase, a Latin phrase, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying this quite right, but koram deo, which means in the presence of God or before God. Zechariah is saying we serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in the presence of God all our days. That, that our service, that, that, that our activity, that our life of a Christian is done in the presence of God. God. That the response to this deliverance is to serve God and to recognize that we are doing so before him. Even now, as we sit here this morning, we are before the face of God. We are in the presence of God. Now that, that should do two things to us, at least, right? One, it should challenge us. And two, it should, should comfort us. The challenge or conviction is that we are always before the face of God. There's, there's nothing hidden. There's no point in which we are in, in some sort of a private moment. No, we are always before the face of God. But it also should bring comfort because he's always there. He's always with you. The great hope for the Christian is that you're never actually alone. You might feel alone, yes, but you're not alone. The scriptures assure us that we are before God, that we are in the presence of God, even that God is with us. Well, as the song moves into the second part, Zechariah moves to speak about the role of his son, John, the forerunner of the Lord. And he first proclaims the ministry of John in verse 76. And you child, now he's talking about John, will be called the prophet of the most high. Here are these few verses, Zechariah gives us th- three ways that the John, um, w- John's ministry purposes. And one is that he would be the prophet, the prophet of the Most High. And the Most High here is a reference to Jesus. We can look back to verse 32 to see that. Clearly, just so we, we're making sure we understand, uh, Zechariah is not talking about John being the Messiah. Right? He's saying that John is the prophet of the Messiah. Uh, in what way? The rest of verse 76, for you will go before the Lord, that's Jesus, to prepare his way. How would, how would John be a prophet of the Most High? He would prepare the way. Uh, back in Mark chapter 1, we looked at this as well. That, that John came and he, um, he came to prepare the way. And, and, and we recognize then that this was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In two, two in particular, in Micah chapter three verse one, it says this: "Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming," says the Lord of hosts. So this this one who prepare the way. Isaiah chapter forty verse three says: "A voice cries in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert, um, the desert a highway for our God." In both of those senses, John was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And Zechariah is seeing that. Zechariah as a priest. He knows the Old Testament. He's saying, John, you're going to fulfill this. You're going to be the one who prepares the way for the king. In ancient times, a messenger would be sent ahead of a king to prepare the way for his visits. And he would make preparations. And some of those preparations would include removing obstacles for them to get to wherever they were going, repairing roads, and preparing the people to receive the king. The prophets spoke of this messenger who would come, who would be the forerunner to prepare his way. And Zechariah is saying that forerunner is in fact John. And John did come. And as we read the, the, the text of, of Luke, a little further into chapter three, that's exactly what John grows up to do, to be the preparation, the forerunner of the Messiah. John was a prophet who prepared the way for the Messiah. And thirdly, his ministry made way for the proclamation of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John, we know, preached the message of repentance. You can go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 4 to see just that. But, but here, um, Zechariah could be talking about the ministry of John, or he could be saying that John's ministry was to make way for Jesus' ministry, meaning that John's ministry was a precursor to Jesus' ministry. So as much as John was preaching the message of, of repentance, Jesus came with that message in full. It is ministry of salvation in the forgiveness of sins when Jesus says in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Jesus came that we might be saved. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost, that our sins might be forgiven. That's the ministry and the message of Jesus, that we might be saved. The message of Christmas isn't just that love has come, is it just a time of rebirth? Is it just time to love your family? It's, it's a message that says salvation has come and forgiveness now is made possible. The forgiveness of your sins. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22 says, indeed, under the law amongst everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, in some Bibles, that says or remission of sins. That word remission, we we think about that word maybe a little bit different in different contexts. Imagine a cancer patient hearing that they have gone into remission. They would understand that that means the cancer is gone, but we also know what? That cancer can return. But here... When Jesus says the remission or the forgiveness of sins, he he doesn't mean that it can return. In fact, on the whole, when God forgives sins, he does not bring them up again. They are removed. They are gone forever. The passage that we just read as we began our service goes on to say that God will not hold our sins against us, that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. The prophet says that he will remember our sins no more. So when Isaiah says to give knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of sins, he is saying that there is, there is now the capacity for your sins to completely be removed. That you don't hold, hold the, the weight of them anymore. That you don't hold the penalty of them anymore. The eternal consequence of your sin has been removed. Now, that might not matter to some people unless you know what the eternal consequence is. And it's not just that you feel shame all your life, that pales. (laughs) It's terrible to feel shame. Some of us have experienced that. But the eternal consequence isn't your shame, the eternal consequence is your separation from God in a place called hell, forever and ever. A life of continued torment. That's the eternal consequence. So when Zechariah comes and says that salvation has come, the knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of sins, that's no small thing. He's saying that that salvation is now available because redemption has come to anyone who repents and believes. Zachariah goes on to note that the salvation of God comes through Jesus is because of, this is verse 78, because of the tender mercies of our God. Tender mercies, or his inward affection, his compassion. Because of his mercy, he sent his son, right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, we see both in salvation. But here, Zechariah is highlighting the mercy of God. What we deserve is punishments. What we deserve is death. Clearly, that is the punishment for sin, the wages of sin. But God, in his mercy, right, has provided salvation. We find that all in Jesus. And that is who Zechariah points to next in verses 78 and 79, where he predicts the Messiah coming. Verse, the rest of verse 78 says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. H- how will this salvation come? The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now, some of your Bibles, if you're looking at a, a uh, King James Version, it says the day spring. Right? In any of these cases, these are metaphors describing how salvation would come. Like a sunrise on high, like light dawning upon us. And who is that sunrise? Who is that day spring? That is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 calls this the, the great light. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 calls it the sun of righteousness, S-U-N. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 calls it him the day star. Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 calls him the bright and morning star. And what is Zechariah saying? Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Jesus coming is the light dawning upon us. And why did he come? He came to give light, the rest of verse 78, 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus came to give us light in order that we might be saved, in order that we might see in order that we might know the way of peace, the peace with God and with peace with man. Or in his own words, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus came to be the light of the world. In fact, he is. You see, the message of Christmas, the birth of Christ, is that light has dawned. That salvation has come. That salvation is here. And that there is only one way of salvation. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, 4, verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Bible affirms that there is only one way of salvation. Jesus said it differently in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, this is kind of an inclusive thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? In our, in our culture, in our postmodern culture, people don't like that. That Jesus would suggest that there that He is it, He's the only way. Well, Jesus isn't being inclusive just for the sake of inclusivity. Right? He's, he's not doing it for that reason. What, what he's doing is he's saying this: there's no one else coming. I'm it. There's no one else who can even do what I'm doing, but I'm the only one who's, who's actually doing it anyways. There, there's no one else coming. Imagine you're, you're on, a, an, on an island, and you're trying to get off the island, and they have one plane, and they say, that's the last plane out of here. That's the only plane. And you say, I don't like that plane. So why don't you like the plane? Well, it's, it's kind of demanding. It, it's requiring things of me, like putting on my seatbelt or, or whatever, like whatever the, the complaint is, you say, hey, buddy, listen, there's no other plane. It's the only plane. Say, well, I think there'll be another plane. Good luck with that. There's no other plane, right? If, if they were to say to you, there's only one way off the, the island is this plane, and you, what are you gonna call their bluff? Jesus is saying, this is it. Salvation is here. What you've been looking for is actually here. The salvation that you so want, that, that peace that you so desire that freedom that you long for, the hope that you have, it's here. It's here in me. I'm it. The sun has, has risen. The light has dawned. Do you see it? Do you see it today? Do you realize it? Do you realize that the sun has already dawned? There is no one else coming. But in order... To receive this redemption again, you must admit that you need it. You must admit that Jesus is the Savior that you need, and you must confess Him as your Lord. Zechariah understood that all, all his hope, all the hope of Israel, was bound up in the Messiah. So when the Messiah came, hope came. When the Messiah arrived, salvation arrived. We are in sin apart from Christ. We are in need of redemption. And thanks be to God that someone, the only one who could, came to purchase our redemption in order to bring us to God. Are you kidding me? Our greatest need and someone actually met it? Think about your greatest need right now. What, what, just think of it for yourself. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. What, whatever it is. Now imagine that being met. Imagine somebody coming and meeting that need. Whatever it is. Boom. It's met. You know, what, what, how would you respond to that? Gratitude, right? You'd be, you'd be praising them. You'd be giving thanks to them. You, you would reorient your life to, to, to give them the, whatever they, they need in an incomparable way. This is, these are not comparable, but in an incomparable way, Jesus has met our greatest need. He has met our deepest need. He has met the eternal longing that you and I have, whether we know it or not, It's this visitation, it's this arrival, it's this advent that changed everything. That is not an overstatement. It's not an overstatement to say that it changed everything. It in fact changed everything. It changed the calendar. It changed everything. Jesus coming changes everything. Imagine if Jesus didn't come. There's no fulfillment of prophecy. There's no substitution for our death. There's no atonement for our sin. There's no purchase, no redemption. There's no resurrection. There's no salvation. There's no remission of sins. There's no hope. There's only death. So to say that Christmas kind of is a big deal, again, it's a bit of an understatement. It's a bleak picture if Jesus were not to come. So when people ramble on about Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, they don't know half of what they're saying. It is, but not for the reasons they think. It is because God has visited us and redeemed his people. It's unbelievable. If that doesn't change your life, And I'm not sure what will, and I'm not sure you understand it yet. God has come for you. Zechariah recognized it. He recognized why he came to redeem his people. He recognized who, who it would be, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to recognize that today? Would you help us to recognize that the light has dawned? Salvation has come. Already here. Zechariah even understood that, that Jesus was already here. That the Messiah was already here. Even before Jesus had lived his life and died his death and the resurrection, he understood that. So God, would you give us understanding today? Would you help us to understand more clearly your work through your son for your people? Of how you loved us? how you did for us what no one else could or would do for us, how you took on flesh and dwelt on this earth, which tells us, God, that the Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like. He's experienced the things we've experienced. He had to become man to, to save man. So, Father, we recognize that, that this God knows um, you know all things. Your love is, is so evident through your Son. We recognize this morning, too, that we don't deserve this, that it's a mercy of God. Father, in response to it today, we pray that first we would repent and believe. And if we have, then, Father, that we would serve you without fear in holiness and righteousness before you all our days. Would you help us to do that? God, this season helps our stir our heart for the, for the coming of Jesus. But thanks be to God that, that, that you already sent your son. He's already been here. And now God, quite frankly, we're looking for you to come again. So when we sing come now, long expected Jesus, we, we sing that understanding that in some ways we we sing that for the second coming. We sing that for your coming again, which we pray will come soon. In fact, God, we do pray that. With the Apostle John, come Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Oh God.